0: Before we begin our Torah study this morning, let's pray together. Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu, melech ha'olam, asher Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves. In the words of Torah. Amen. Well, this week we continue with Readings from the life of Joseph, and it doesn't end this week, it continues next week. And you might ask yourself, why do we read so much about Joseph? And I'll give you a simple answer. It's because there is so much in the life of Joseph and in the story of Joseph and his brothers and his family, including his father and his his brothers, his children, So much that is useful to us, and so much that helps us discover the character of God. And to develop more clear understandings about how God works in our lives, and how we can join in with him. And as well, there's much to the story of Joseph that helps us understand God's heart for redemption, and the fact of Yeshua being our Messiah, and one of the names of Messiah is Messiah, son of Joseph, the suffering Messiah. And we learn that Joseph does suffer, but it's not in vain. He goes through hardship, but it's not in vain. It's hardship, but it comes to a place of redemption and restoration and reconciliation and so there's hope for Joseph and there's hope for us. And I have a hope, I have a hope that you'll read the Torah, and the prophets, and the writings, and the Brit Chadasha. And I have a hope that you will read with us as we read along every week. I have a hope that you will take the through the scriptures reading plan for our Shabbat and holiday readings, and that you will read in advance of Shabbat and then after Shabbat as well. It will help you. You will get more out of the scriptures if you read each week and you follow along with the stories. So in this week's Torah portion, Joseph reveals himself to his brother's And they were speechless when it happens. And think about what what they saw. They saw a man who was clearly Egyptian. He was visibly Egyptian. He spoke the Egyptian language. He wore Egyptian clothes. He had an Egyptian name. He was in a high Egyptian government position. And he spoke to them, to the brothers, through an interpreter. The man was enculturated as an Egyptian. He was outwardly Egyptian, and he was functionally Egyptian. Outwardly, he was one thing. But inwardly, he was another thing altogether. He had another identity. In fact, he was a servant of the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he was part of God's covenant plan for Israel, for the Jewish people, and for the whole world. And so, Joseph is almost two different kinds of people. He is part of the family of Israel, but he's also Egyptian. But he's not Egyptian by birth, he's not Egyptian by um, parentage, He is Egyptian because he has been sold into slavery by the very brothers who are now there decades later looking at him, meeting him. He knows who they are. They don't know who he is yet. Now, I hope you take the time to read about the way that Judah and the other brothers came to recognize their guilt before God and their recognition of what they had done to Joseph and the ways that they showed that their hearts had changed, that they had changed. They were not the same as they had been those years before when out of jealousy and out of hatred they sold their own brother into slavery. They had changed. And it was through their confessions to one another about their guilt and their repentance, their acknowledgement of their guilt, that Joseph was overhearing what was going on. They were talking their language, Hebrew, to each other, and Joseph understood everything. Of course he did. So it's important to understand that as background because it's a really significant moment. And it touches Joseph very deeply. It overwhelms him with emotion. It triggers his decision to reveal himself to his brothers. And so let's read together, starting in Genesis 45. And how many of you have a Bible with you? If you do, can you show me? If you have a digital Bible, that's good. If you have a old school Bible, that's also good. Genesis 45, starting in verse 1. It's picking up the story where Joseph has heard the acknowledgement of guilt from his brothers, and he has seen a demonstration that they are different and that their hearts have changed. And it says, Genesis 45, verse 1, Joseph could not control himself in front of everyone who was standing before him, and he shouted have everyone leave me. And as I understand it, he shouted that in Egyptian because he was telling the Egyptians to leave. And so there was no one else with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And then he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard about it. So this is not some dignified, quiet moment It is packed with emotion and intensity and it's about to be filled with shock and awe. Verse 3, Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph, is my father still alive? Now the scripture records what he said in Hebrew, Ani Yosef ha'od avichai? So he switches from Egyptian language without any explanation, and he starts speaking in Hebrew to these men who are there, who are his brothers. And he's been getting ready for this, and he thinks they're ready. He knows their hearts have changed, he knows something's different. And so he makes this declaration in Hebrew. And remember what's happened. He's been weeping out loud. Now, I could use a few volunteer weepers. Do we have anybody who can weep out loud from where you're sitting? Oh, come on. Oh, that's kind of, that, I think it was worse. How about we all weep together? Let's just... <laughs> yeah, that was that was still a little bit restrained and not so shocking you know we're sort of in control of ourselves right now right hasn't anybody been crying this past year over anything come on no you've been good everything's fine well, it wasn't fine for Joseph. He had no composure. He, was, he, he lost control of himself. He couldn't control himself anymore. He couldn't restrain himself anymore. And he's looking at his brothers and he's crying. And he's sending out all the Egyptians. And so it's just him and his brothers. They don't know what's going on. He's weeping so loudly that the Egyptians heard it. These are the Egyptians who already left this room. So loud that word about what was going on made it to Pharaoh and to his family, to his household, to everybody. Everybody was talking about it. How loud, how sad. What is going on? Because they don't know. There's only one person who knows what's going on. Joseph. And he's not being professorial. He's not being diplomatic. He's not explaining everything to his brothers. He's not setting them up for a nice, easy conversation. He's weeping. And he's so loud. And in the midst of all of that, he says, Ani Yosef. Now he's speaking in Hebrew. Now can you imagine the shock? These brothers have been exchanging confidential information in front of each other, to each other, in Hebrew, not realizing that all along, this man who they thought didn't understand Hebrew because he spoke through an interpreter, this man was understanding everything they had said. But what made it worse was not that he spoke Hebrew, it's who he was. I'm Joseph, is my father alive? And that can be understood a few different ways. One of the ways is if he's not, I'm going to do one thing. If he is, I might do another thing. Because sometimes people restrain themselves because, you know, the parents, they behave a little bit better in front of the parents or for the sake of the parents. Let's look at the response, the verbal response. Of the brothers. Ani Yosef Haod Avichai. But his brothers could not answer him. They couldn't talk. For they were terrified in his presence. That's the story. That's the moment. That's what's happening. They couldn't speak. Joseph had stopped speaking in Egyptian, and his brothers stopped speaking altogether. They couldn't respond. They couldn't come up with any words. They were terrified. Joseph had stopped using his interpreter. He's speaking directly in Hebrew, and he's passionately and openly speaking in Hebrew, and he wants an answer. Verse 4, he then said to his brothers, Please come closer to me. Okay, so they came closer. Now, you know, when, sometimes when people are disturbed, when they're really troubled, they, they get tunnel vision. Has that ever happened in, in your experience? And even e- the way you listen can change. And under certain conditions, what people hear is something like this, wah, wah. I've, I've done many weddings over the years and there have been times when I'm preparing the couple and the wedding party for how to stand at, um, like under the chuppah and how to stand together. And here's one of the things that you have to, in my line of work, you have to teach people, don't lock your knees. And, like, stand really stiff. I say that to people, and there's a reason. When people lock their knees, their blood circulation changes. And I have been at weddings where people lock their knees, who are in the wedding party, and then they just pass out. And it's an unusual moment, you know, during the happy ceremony, that to see, I, because I've seen it happen, to see even a, a big, solid man just fall like a tree. Pew! Or just collapse. I'm not going to fall. I don't feel like falling today. But to see that happen and then to realize he locked his knees, he shouldn't have done it, you know, like, oops. This can happen when people are under stress and they stress their bodies. They they don't function necessarily in the same way. And I've told this story before about um, several times during the wedding ceremony, I've had the bride sort of whisper to me, like, when are we going to do something? Some of you know that in a traditional Jewish wedding, the bride will circle the groom seven times. And after that was done, we were standing together and there were some prayers. And I remember one of the brides, the bride at that wedding said to me, when am I supposed to circle? And she had already circled. Seven times. And she couldn't remember. And another one, at a certain point, said to me, when are we going to do this certain thing? And I said, we just did it. And the bride said to me, I can't hear anything. I can't see much everything is like really narrow, and all I'm hearing is whoa, whoa. And so I said, take a breath. Let's relax. It'll come back. These things happen at a wedding? A joyful moment, yes? And I think something physical was happening and emotional was happening with these brothers because they're in a place of stress. You know, they're trying to buy food. They've been in a famine. There's been unusual circumstances that they can't explain. And now their brother reveals himself. But let me just test you. anybody go to the doctor in the last year and have your blood pressure checked? And have you noticed that when you go to the doctor and have your blood pressure checked, it's often higher than when you checked it yourself earlier? And that is that is a common experience that the medical teams are familiar with, that the the experience of going to the doctor can be nerve-wracking for people. It can feel like some pressure to them. And, And so they understand that and they pay attention to that. Just being in that kind of stress can change your physical condition. But these brothers were in much more stress than that. They can't even talk. And so Joseph says, come closer. Now here's the thing that I take notice of. They can hear, but they can't talk. They hear what he says, but they can't respond. So they come closer, and he continues, and he speaks in Hebrew, and he says, Ani Yosef. Achichem. I'm Joseph, your brother. And then, he adds one more phrase in Hebrew. I'm Joseph, your brother, whom you sold to Egypt. I'm that Joseph. Now, we know that Joseph is moving towards reconciliation and restoration, but the brothers don't know that. They're not sure. And maybe some aspects of this aren't fully decided, but Joseph does have the heart of the Redeemer, and yet I like the fact that he's a little bit confrontative, And he says... I'm Joseph, your brother. That's not confrontative. That's important. I'm Joseph, your brother. That's who I am. I'm your brother. I'm still your brother. That's good news because the brothers had sort of begun to treat him like he wasn't a brother all those years ago, like he was the son of his father, but not their brother. They weren't treating him in a brotherly way. But Joseph is saying, I'm your brother. Those are powerful words to hear. But then they're followed by this confrontative statement, whom you sold to slavery. You sold to Egypt. Now, Joseph is being confrontative at that moment. In case, brothers, you're wondering which Joseph I am, I'm the one you sold into slavery. I'm the one you sold to Egypt. But he's not being mean. This is what's interesting to me. He's being a little confrontative, but he's not being mean. But he's also not minimizing what had happened. He wasn't just shrugging it off and acting like it was all nothing. In fact, in Psalm 105, we read some details that are important to note. If if you can turn to Psalm 105 or make note of this. Verse 17 says, Joseph was sold as a slave. They forced his feet into shackles. He was bruised. He was put in irons. So if you had the misconception that it was easy for Joseph all those years, you misunderstood. Psalm 105 is making it clear. It was tough. And so Joseph is saying, I'm that Joseph, the one you sold to Egypt. I'm the one who was a slave. I was a prisoner. I was was in shackles. I was bruised. It hurt. That's what he's saying. And then Psalm 105 verse 19 adds an interesting statement that helps us really perceive what has been going on with Joseph all this time. It says this, Psalm 105, verse 19, The word of the Lord refined him. And the word in Hebrew for refine is a basic word that that is connected to the way that you purify metal. And you know how you do that? You heat it up with fire until it melts and until the impurities rise to the surface and can be scooped off. But refining is not something that's done just one time. It's done several times. You have to raise the heat level in order to get all the dross, all the impurities out. So it's telling us in Psalm 105 that this Joseph who was sold as a slave, who was bruised and and put in shackles and irons, he was refined by the word of the Lord. The word of God purified him. It's such an important insight that he had the dross removed from him. The word of the Lord wasn't easy. Sometimes we receive a word from the Lord and we imagine it's going to be just easy. And then you find out it's not easy. Has anybody had that kind of experience? You prayed for something and then God began to give it to you and then you found out this is harder than I thought. Well, this helps us understand also the idea of righteousness. And the righteous one in biblical times, the righteous one, the tzaddik, was one who had faced challenge or difficulty that could only be overcome by trusting in God and being faithful to God. So the righteous one was was not just someone who was religious, if you will, but someone who went through difficulty and trusted God during times of difficulty, and because of that trust, gained the victory. In Hebrew, the word tzedakah combines three qualities, righteousness, justice, and charity. So when Joseph is revealing himself to his brothers, he's revealing the righteousness of God that has been worked into him, that's tzedakah, that includes justice, but it also includes charity, mercy, and kindness. And when he reveals himself to his brothers, he's revealing his own heart, which is redemptive and restorative. And he knows this, that God's plans and God's power and God's sovereignty work together to redeem and to restore, and that God is not essentially focused on punishing people who do us wrong, or do wrong. He's learning that God's justice is restorative. And Joseph has learned to love the justice of God, the righteousness of God, that makes things right. And this love has been forged in him during the times of great suffering. That's where it developed. And he's been refined. The psalm says, the word of the Lord refined Joseph. So it was during the time of refining and testing that Joseph was refined. Now, we need to think through, how does suffering connect to being refined and to being purified? It's not just through the hardship. I want to tell you that. Hardship alone can make some people bitter, not better. Some people just get worse in hardship. How does it work? How did it work for Joseph? I think the earlier parts of the story help explain to us the secret to Joseph having been purified. And I'll tell you what I think it is. It's that he continued to have fellowship with the Lord even during times of suffering. He served the Lord. He sought the Lord. He received answers from the Lord. He acted like the Lord was with him. And you know what? All the Egyptians around him took notice of it, and they said, We know that God is with you. Now most of us during times of difficulty think God has not been with us. We act like because it's difficult that God must have turned his back or failed to pay attention to us or not taken notice of us. But Joseph did not think that way. He fellowshiped with the Lord in times of difficulty. That is a key. And it's so important for you and for me to understand this, that when we are fellowshipping with God, even during times of difficulty, you know what? He refines us. He purifies us. He he uses that difficulty for good purposes. Not just so that we can learn to suffer, but so that we can become the person who has more of God in him or her. He knows how to do this. He knows how to work with us. Now, it's also interesting to me that in Psalm 105, it speaks about those who are of Messiah, Mashiach, those who belong to Messiah. And in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, the Jewish Greek translation, it says that those who are of Christos, because Christos was used first by Jewish Greek speaking folk as a substitute word for Mashiach, for Messiah, not the way the classic Greek literature or even Koine Greek used Christos, but the way they understood Messiah. So in Psalm 105, it introduces the idea of those who belong to Messiah. And there are warnings, don't touch my anointed ones. Don't touch those who are of Messiah. Don't touch those who, for the Greek-speaking Jews, who are of Christos. Don't touch them. Don't do them harm. And then it talks about Joseph immediately after that. To give us some perspective that God takes note of us like he took note of Joseph. Let's read on in Genesis. Joseph is speaking from his heart to his brothers. And he says this, Do not be distressed or angry with yourselves that you sold me into this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. God was at work in secret. How did he know that? It's because he saw God at work in all those years of suffering, in all those years of difficulty. And his interpretation, Joseph's interpretation, was informed by this close fellowship that he had with the Lord. And he said to his brothers, God sent me ahead of you in order to preserve life, your life. You see, Joseph's life had already been preserved in a real sense. He had been rescued out of the bad circumstances that his brothers had contributed to. And then verse 6, Joseph goes on, the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. Isn't that interesting? He speaks of it as if it's a fact. He had interpreted this dream, and it wasn't just an opinion, it was a fact to him. And it was not just a fact in the past, it was a fact in the future. And this helps us understand something about the way true faith works. I'm not talking about positive thinking, I'm not talking about being a positive personality or someone who's optimistic. I'm saying those who get a hold of the Word of God and grasp what God's purposes are, begin to see that God's purposes are like facts in the world. And that God intends to accomplish His purposes. His purposes for you and His purposes for me can be accomplished because God sets out to do them. What's necessary for you and me is to agree with Him. To continue to have fellowship with Him even when it seems like circumstances are working against. Verse 7. Joseph says, God sent me ahead of you to preserve you as a remnant on the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. You know what he's saying to his brothers? God's plans have prevailed. God's purposes are being accomplished. And then he repeats himself, repeats the idea, Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. I like that simple phrase, but God. Can you say that with me? But God. There are times when we've been working our plan, our plans are good, but they are not the same as God's plans. And then God accomplishes his plans his way, and you take a step back and you say, but God, but God. It wasn't you who sent me here. You meant to do harm. You meant to get rid of me, but God. Let's go to verse 14. All of this has happened very suddenly, very quickly. Just moments is all it took. And then Joseph fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept on his neck. And Joseph kissed all his brothers and wept on them. And afterwards, his brothers talked with him. That's the transformation. Joseph opens his heart up. It's confrontative. It's not mean. He's not minimizing. He's being direct. But he's also being restorative. And he knows the brothers are ready to be reconciled with him and him with them. They weep together. After that, his brothers could talk. Can you imagine? You got one guy here who's doing all the talking and then you got 11 strong brothers who can't talk. They can't even make sounds. And now... Joseph has wept with them. He's cried over each of them. He's gone to each one of them individually and kissed them and wept with him. And then they could talk. Then they could talk. What a strong display of emotion. I think this also shows us something that's really powerful, that we can see that Joseph is demonstrating that the way that we follow God can actually shape the outcome of our life and our situations if we are faithful to God. And if we stay close to God, even when people are unfaithful to us, even when life has its trouble, then this type of faithfulness can actually affect the outcome of our life and the situations we find ourselves in, but also the lives of other people. Because Joseph stayed close to the Lord during his times of difficulty, he was ready for this moment that he had not been able to arrange for himself. The Lord had set all this up. Joseph had to understand what was going on and did do some testing. And that, of course, was in Joseph's hands. But the fact that the Lord was working towards reconciliation was something that Joseph had to apprehend that it was the purpose of God and the timing of God. And he did. He understood it, but he had to know for sure that the brothers had changed. And he saw that. He was tenacious. He had a firm grip. What tenacious means is is to hold on tight, to hold fast, to hold on. What did he hold on? He held on to God, and to the purposes of God, and the heart of God. And he demonstrated a truth that Paul would later write about in Romans 8.28. I encourage you to read this simple verse with Joseph's life in mind. God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. He causes all things to work together for good. You know, with speaking to, even the rotten stuff can work together for good. For those who love God and are called according to his purpose his highest aims and goals. There were things that people did to Joseph that were not good. And Joseph may have thought at times that those very things would ruin his life. And I think some of you can easily relate to that because you've had experience with pain and difficulty and betrayal. And yet... God got his hands on Joseph and it changed the outcome of everything. And Joseph held tight to the Lord and the love of God, as Paul is talking about, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So it's our part to keep loving God the whole time through the difficulty and through the good times. And when we do, it changes the outcome. It can happen that way for you and for me. The outcomes can be changed. Now, I want to be clear about something. It is not that evil things should be called good things. Evil things can be done, and God can overturn the actual outcome of those evils, and that changes the final result. You meant it one way, we'll read next week, Joseph says to his brothers. God meant it another way. You had one outcome in mind, God had another outcome. You had one attitude, God had another attitude. And guess which prevailed? The Lord's positions prevailed. Why? Because Joseph kept loving God and holding on to God's purposes. So it's possible to hold on to God by loving him and holding on to his purposes. That's what it actually means to be tenacious, to hold on, to get a firm grip, to hold fast, to hold on to God and his purposes. Those who endure to the end will be saved, Yeshua says. That's shocking to many people's theology. But if you translate it another way, those who hold on to the purposes of God will experience the deliverance of God. If we lose the Lord's purposes, we may not experience the deliverance that God has for us. So the tenacious faith of Joseph was like that. And just a few more verses, Genesis 45, verses 25 through 28. Now the brothers are going to go back and get Jacob, their father. The brothers went up from Egypt. They returned to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob, and they told him, saying, Joseph is still alive. That parallels what Joseph had asked. Is my father alive? And now they use those words, Joseph is still alive. Od chai. And indeed he's ruler over all the land of Egypt, but Jacob was stunned because he didn't believe them. And when they told him all the words of Joseph that Joseph had spoken to them, and when Jacob saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, Then the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And then Israel, who is Jacob, said, It is enough, my son Joseph is still alive, and I will go and see him before I die. The Hebrew that's translated, it's enough, maybe could be translated, this is great. It's great. It's powerful. It's amazing. My son, Joseph, is still alive. And so the brothers were preserved and the father was preserved. And the spirit of their father, Jacob, was revived. So Israel, the one who wrestled and struggled with God and with men, says, it's enough. I, I'm going. I'm going to go see my son. He was dead, but he's alive. And you know what's at work? That faith that can be called resurrection faith, life from the dead. Resurrection life. It was at work in the life of Joseph and the patriarchs. It was at work in the life of Yeshua, the Messiah. And it's at work in our lives, too, through our living faith. And then let's just look at a concluding passage, Genesis 46, verses 1 through 4, that gives us like a special touch that only Hashem can add when Israel, Jacob, is heading south to Egypt. It says, Israel took everything he owned with him on his journey. You know what that meant? He was moving. He arrived at Beersheba, and he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. In a vision at night, God called to Israel, Yaakov, Yaakov. It's interesting. He uses both names. He called to Israel, Yaakov. And he answered, He Hineni, here I am. And he said, I am God, the God of your father. Don't be afraid to go down to Egypt. It is there that I will make you into a great nation. Not only will I go down with you to Egypt, but I will also bring you back here again after Joseph has closed your eyes. So it's a word from the Lord about fulfilling the covenantal promise. The Lord is saying to Jacob, it will be done. What I said to you, what I promised to you, what I promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I am accomplishing. Your going down to Egypt is part of that. All of this fits in together now. And so Jacob's future is now fully connected to the future of his son's. And their children and these generations will carry the Covenant forward. It won't be easy, it will be difficult. And for everyone who's got Jewish family, you know you have stories of difficulty. You've heard the stories. And for everyone who's been joined to the Jewish people through Messiah, you know this, that just as Messiah suffered We suffer not because of some type of longing to suffer, but because we know that this life is difficult, and going through this life and going to the purposes of God will be difficult. It will be hard. And people won't always treat us right, and circumstances won't always seem to be in our favor. And it will seem sometimes that the world is working against what God is wanting to do. But guess who can win in that battle? You can win. Because the Lord can win. What's he looking for? That will hold on to him. That we will love him all along the way. It's so beautiful. I want to pray for all of us. Lord, we want the heart of Joseph. We want the heart of Messiah. We want to be able to apply your perspective to our life. We want to move forward with you. We don't want to be stuck in what people have done. You can heal us and you can use us. You can turn outcomes for your purposes. Thank you, Lord, that you're with us. You don't abandon us. You walk with us. Thank you that you heal us. Thank you that through life's ups and downs and twists and turns, Lord, you are always faithful. Let our hearts be strong. Let our minds be strong as we prepare to enter into this coming year. And let us experience the victory of tenacious faith, Lord. Give us like you gave to Joseph. Refine us like you refined him. Develop in us victorious and tenacious faith. We pray in Yeshua's name. Amen. Now I want to speak to some people who may be listening by podcast or watching online, or you may be here. This is a good time to be decisive about the Lord. Maybe you have become interested in the Lord and you've been seeking the Lord, but it's time to be clear with Him and to let your yes be yes with the Lord and to say yes to Him. And so I want to encourage you to pray like this. Yes, Lord, I want to live for you. I want to be faithful to you. I thank you, Lord, for redeeming me and paying the price for my sin and for my guilt. I thank you, Lord, for loving me and giving me the promise of new life in Yeshua, my Messiah. Thank you for the gift of repentance that leads to life. I turn to you, Lord, with all my heart in Yeshua's name. Amen. If that's what's in your heart, that's the very best thing you can carry forward in this year ahead. It's good to be clear with the Lord, and it's good to be clear with others. Tell others that you've decided to walk with the Lord. In a moment, we're going to close with Aaron's blessing. And for those who make special end-of-year donations, I want to encourage you to include Beth Israel in your end-of-year giving today. Today's the last day for 2022. And you can donate online through bethisraelnow.com slash giving. Or you can send checks in the mail today. In any case, they'll be included, and we thank you for that. Now let's stand for Aaron's blessing. And let's remember that you're invited to the Bagel egg with lots of bagels and spreads and fellowship in the Shalom Center afterwards. And I hope you join us. And a special invite to people who are with us for the first time. We're so glad that you could celebrate Shabbat with us today. And we hope you come next door for bagels and fellowship. And and I'm so glad that my favorite Aaron is right here. (laughs) And yes, I do know other Aarons. A-A-R-O-N. Yeah. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep watch over you, guard and protect you. May the Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. So from Sandy and me and everyone in the Beth Israel Mishpacha, thanks for joining us. Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Yeah. Yeah, Bagel Oneg, everyone, next door at the Shalom Center.